Please rise for the reading of God's Word from 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 and 12. Hear now God's Word. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory and the majesty, for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might, in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. We are living in uncertain times, but there's a real sense in which we always live in uncertain times. On what we call the good days, we just don't worry about it. And then along comes what we call a bad day, and our anxiety levels begin to increase. And then when something big happens, and there appears to be an upheaval and a break from what we consider to be normal, then that gets all of our attention, and fear can set in. We're like children in the dark. We need some reassurance that our Father uh, has it all under control and that everything is going to be all right. So what is God up to? Why has this coronavirus come upon us? In this life, there is far more that we don't know than what we do know. So when there are so many unknowns and really unknowables, we are going to have to come back and rely upon what we do know. So what do you know? Well, here's what I know, and I think it's what you know. I know that God is all good. I know that God is all powerful. I know that God is all wise. And then I know that God loves me. Now that is a comfort. He is the sovereign of the universe. As our text says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. All of it. Every atom, every square inch belongs to him. And you know the catechism question from the Heidelberg, right? The first one, what is our only comfort in life and in death? And this is where knowing the catechism really comes in handy, right? When you need it. That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with His precious blood has satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil. So And so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, Not even a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation, wherefore by His Holy Spirit He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. That's just a great summary of what the Bible says about what our comfort is. So these are some things that we know for certain. And right now, we need to remember what we know. 
You ever know something and then you forget it? And then somebody has to come along and remind us of what we already knew and they tell us and we say, yeah, I know that. But I need to hear that again. I need to be reassured. And so, doctrine matters. What we believe matters. And one of the most fundamental doctrines of the Scriptures is the doctrine of God Himself. What we believe about Him makes all the difference in the world, in this world and in your world. And, and now you should, we should always keep in mind, whatever we study about God, that there's always going to be mystery. He's infinite and we're finite. But He has revealed Himself to us and He has told us what it is we do need to know about Him. And in the midst, for example, in the midst of all of Job's troubles, and he had a lot of troubles, and he was wanting answers. He was wanting to know, why, God? Why this? Why me? So God sits Job down, and after uh, a rather lengthy discussion or, or uh, a talk with Job, uh, here's what uh, we read. Uh, he reveals himself, and in the midst of all this, Job crying out to God, God says, in effect, to Job, after everything, without really answering the particulars, he says, Job, trust me. I created the world, I feed all the animals, I take care of all the details every day, I've got this, I've got you, trust me. G.K. Chesterton observed about the book of Job, he wrote a commentary on Job, and he said, the book of Job avowedly only answers mystery with mystery. Job is comforted with riddles, but he is comforted. Herein is indeed a type in the sense of a prophecy of things speaking with authority for when he who doubts can only say, I do not understand, it is true that he who knows can only reply and repeat, you do not understand. And under that rebuke, there is always a sudden hope in the heart. You know, to have... A parent say to a child, I know you don't understand, but I'm here for you. I'm taking care of this. That's a comfort. There are many things we don't understand and can't understand. So this morning, we're just going to do a quick Bible study on the sovereignty of God. This will inform us and remind us of who God is. And this, when received by faith, will provide us with the greatest of comfort in uncertain times. So listen carefully this morning and hear what God has to say to you. Again, perhaps you already know all this. That's okay. Let's reestablish that. So let's begin with this question. Who controls the affairs of the earth? One very popular book, which I read when I was 17, so that was a long time ago, asserted in its title that Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. But what about God? Does God simply look on while the devil has his way with the world? Is the world really the devil's workshop? Is he directing the affairs of the world? Others see man as the measure of all things. 
Man's free will must reign supreme. Man is the director of his own destiny. Science and academia and the politicians, these are the ones who by their ingenuity will solve all the problems and address the uncertainty. We have the Dr. Fauci's to save us and the CDC. We believe in science. Now, it's not that these have nothing to offer, but they are not where we find our ultimate comfort. As smart as they might be, as well-intentioned as they might be, as correct as they might be, they are fallible. They are uncertain themselves. They make mistakes. And we know that. And so to put unlimited trust into these, I believe, is a mistake. Many will concede that God reigns supreme in heaven, but then they question his reign on earth. Has God really taken a back seat to men and to the devil when it comes to the, to the ruling of the affairs of the earth and fulfilling his plan? Now, it's possible that nothing is ruling the universe, and this is all just one big impersonal roulette wheel or crapshoot. On the other, uh, the other alternative is that someone is ruling the world, someone who is sovereign over the destinies of men, and who would that be? You see, the God of our day, if he exists at all, is a weak being who commands no respect from anyone. He's kind of a nuisance, mostly. He might be there if something really big comes along and we cry out to the man upstairs. Poor God is trying his best to save everyone, but most people won't let him. Or at least the devil is frequently frustrating the plans of God. But ultimately, I believe we all have to admit that some sovereign rules over our lives. Just as I think predestination is an inescapable concept, so too is the idea of sovereignty. Someone or something is going to determine our destiny. Therefore, someone is going to rule over the affairs of men and the affairs of the universe, even if it is the so-called impersonal force. May the force be with you. Whatever that is. Now, no one asked us if we wanted to have existence. Neither did they ask when or where we would be born. We didn't choose our race or what family we would be born into, whether we'd be American or Chinese or something else. It has been recognized by Christians in all ages that God is the creator and ruler of the universe. And as the creator and ruler of the universe... He is the ultimate source of all power that is found in the creatures. He's the original source. Arthur W. Pink defines the sovereignty of God this way. What do we mean by this expression? We mean the supremacy of God, the kingship of God, the godhood of God. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that God is God. To say that God is sovereign is to to declare that He is the Most High, doing according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, so that none can stay His hand or say to Him, 
What doest thou? To say that God is sovereign is to declare that He is almighty, the possessor of all power in heaven and earth, so that none can defeat His counsels, thwart His purpose, or resist His will. To say that God is sovereign is to declare that He is the governor among the nations, Psalm 22:28, setting up kingdoms, overthrowing empires, and determining the course of dynasties as pleases Him best. To say that God is the sovereign is to declare that He is the only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and such is the God of the Bible. Creator of all things. Everything. By virtue of the fact that God has created everything that exists, He is the absolute and final owner and disposer of all that He has made, including me and you. He exerts not merely a general influence, but He actually rules the world that He created. God asked Abraham in Genesis 18.14, Is anything too hard for Yahweh? And Jeremiah would answer that with this declaration, Ah, Lord God, behold, You have made the heavens and the earth by Your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard. For you. The nations of the earth in their insignificance are as small as the dust of the balance when compared to his greatness. Now you got the scale of balance, and God says the nations are like a little bit of dust that got on the scales. Isaiah 40, 15 through 17 Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as the small dust on the scales. Look, he lifts up the scales as a very little thing. Got that? That's that's the whole world. And Lebanon is not sufficient to burn. Lebanon was known for its giant trees, the cedars of Lebanon. And he says that's not even anything worth burning. Uh, Lebanon is not sufficient to burn, nor its beasts sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. And they are counted by him as less than nothing and worthless. And again in Isaiah 40, 22 through 26, it is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless Scarcely shall they be planted, scarcely shall they be sown, scarcely shall their stock take root in the earth, and when uh, when he will also blow on them, and they will wither, and the whirlwind will take them away like stubble. To whom then will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number, and that's the stars, okay? Everything in heaven, billions of them, who he brings out their host by number. He's numbered them. He calls them all by name, by the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. Amid all the apparent defeats and inconsistencies of life, uh, God is actually moving forward in his undisturbed majesty. 
Even the sinful actions of men can only occur with his permission. And since he willingly permits all that comes to pass, including the actions and the ultimate destiny of men, they must be, in some sense, in accordance with what he has desired and purposed. Isaiah 14, 24 and 27, The Lord of hosts has sworn, saying, Surely as I have thought, so it shall come to pass. You got that? If God thinks it, it happens. For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out. Who will turn it back? He is the king of creation. Speaking of Christ, Christ now is brought into the picture and expanding this view of God. The Apostle Paul declares in Colossians 1, For by him, that is by Jesus Christ, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He can run past this and not let it soak in. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things. He's on top of all of that. He is preeminent. In him, all things consist. All things are held together. Now, I know the world scoffs at this. Those who rejected Christ laugh at this. It's foolishness to them. But if it's true, then he's everything. Everything to you and me. To the world. To the degree that God is denied, God is excluded from the government of the world. And so naturally we have some psychological problems here with this idea, such as how can the free acts of men be under the sovereign control of God? I admit there's all kinds of things I don't know the exact answer to. And when we in our present state of knowledge are not fully capable of solving such problems, you know what I go back to sometimes? I go, what what is it I know? And then how much do I not know? And what is the alternative? Is that better, really? The force? That's what you're relying on? Evolution, the survival of the fittest, that all this is just all by chance. Molecules bumping into molecules, and here we are, and here today, gone tomorrow. Okay, go for it. Live that way. Conduct your affairs that way and your relationships that way. So that's not sufficient grounds for rejecting what the Scriptures affirm. That is, that I can't answer and solve every last problem that God creates for me. That there's mystery with God. If there's no mystery with God, He's a pretty little God, because I'm a pretty little person. Remember, of all that there is to know, we know almost nothing. And what we do know, we know because somebody told us. And the infinite sovereign Lord of the universe has revealed some of what he knows to us. We can know that for certain. If the power of an earthly king is law in his kingdom, how much more shall the word of God be in his? For example, the Christian knows that the day is certainly coming 
when willingly or unwillingly, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. In the Scriptures, Christ is represented to us as God Almighty who sits on the throne and has universal dominion. He knows the end from the beginning and the mean and the means to be used in order to attain the end. He is able to do for us exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. And the category of the impossible has no real existence with him. With whom, Matthew 19, 26 says, all things are possible. Now, this, of course, doesn't mean that God has the power to do that which is contrary to his nature or to work contradictions. It's impossible, for example, for God to lie or do anything that's morally wrong. He can't make two and two equal five, and he can't make a rock so big he can't pick it up. But his omnipotence is as sure a guarantee that the course of the world will conform to his plan as his holiness is a guarantee that all of his works will be right. The doctrine of God's sovereignty is consistently developed through the Bible. The writers of the Bible rarely use such expressions as it rains. They instinctively speak of God sending rain. The possibility of accident and chance are excluded. Even the lot, the, the, the casting of a lot, was an accepted means of, of, of obtaining a decision by God. In Joshua 14.2, uh, their inheritance was by lot as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half tribe. Or Joshua 18.6, you shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. We could multiply examples of this. All things without exception were, are disposed by him and his will is the ultimate reason behind all that occurs. Heaven and earth and all that is in them are the instruments through which he works his ends. Let me just give some passages very quickly here. Job 42.2, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. That's what Job says to God. Psalm 115.3, but our God is in heaven. He does Whatsoever he pleases. Psalm 135.6 Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas, and in all the deep places. Everywhere, all the time. Isaiah 55.11 So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Nature, nations, and individuals are all manifestations of His eternal purpose and plan. Amos 3.6, if there is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Lamentations 3.37 and 38, who is He who speaks and it comes to pass? When the Lord has not commanded it, is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed. Deuteronomy 8.18, And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth. Ecclesiastes 7.14, In the day of prosperity be joyful, 
But in the day of adversity, consider, surely God has appointed the one as well as the other so that a man can find out nothing that will come after him. Isaiah 64, 16, Behold, I have created the blacksmith who blows the coals in the fire, who brings forth an instrument for his work, and I have created the spoiler to destroy. So God directs the steps of men. A, man plan, a man's heart plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 16, 9. Uh, Psalm 147, 6. The Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked down to the ground. That's what he does. He opens and hardens hearts. Uh, Acts 16, 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God and the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. That's the work of God. Exodus 14.4, Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord. Can our almighty God, the omnipotent ruler of the universe, change the characters of the creatures that he made by Creatures, I mean all of creation. He changed water into wine at Cana and converted Saul on the road to Damascus. The lepers said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And with a word, the leper was clean. Romans 9, 20 through 21. But indeed, O man, who are you who replies against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have the power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Now I know that we find such revelations difficult. We are tempted to ignore them or at least dismiss them, but instead we are called to acknowledge them and embrace them. It's our thinking not God's, that must be changed. We are not free to edit his resume. It is important for us to remember that God has not lost any of his power. He hadn't gotten old and tired. It is highly dishonoring to him to suppose that he is struggling along with the human race, doing his best, but is unable to accomplish his purpose. Isaiah 46, 9-11, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man who executes my counsel from far away, from a far country. Indeed, I have spoken it. I also will bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. Psalm 2, 1 through 4. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers uh, have taken counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. You got the picture? All the leaders of the earth, the kings, the judges, 
don't like God telling them what to do. They find that binding, restrictive. We want to do it our way. How can we break these bonds, they say. And then verse 4 says, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Although the sovereignty of God is universal and absolute, it's important for us to remember that it is not the sovereignty of a cold, blind power. It is coupled with infinite wisdom, holiness, and love. And this doctrine, or these doctrines, when properly understood, are very comforting. They're very, the reassurance of Scripture. No matter what's going on in my life, in the world, these doctrines are what give me comfort. I can't think of anything else that would give me that kind of comfort. Would you not prefer to have your life in the hands of a God of infinite power, wisdom, holiness, goodness, and love rather than to have all the uncertainty left to chance or irrevocable natural law or to your own short-sighted sinful self? Those who reject God's sovereignty should consider the alternatives that they have left. The affairs of the universe then are controlled and guided how? By the devil? By man? Or is it indeed according to the purpose of him who works all things after the counsel of his will? The present day tendency is to set aside the doctrines of divine sovereignty in order to make room for the, for the autonomy uh, and free will of men. The pride and presumption of man on the one hand and his ignorance and depravity on the other lead him to exclude God. They lead him to exalt himself rather than God. This idea leads men to the false assumption that the serious intentions of God may, in some cases at least, be defeated. That man, who is not only a creature, but a sinful creature, that he can exercise power over the Almighty God. This stands in stark contrast with the biblical idea of his immeasurable exaltation by which he is removed from all the weakness of humanity. That the plans of men are not only executed is due to a lack of power or a lack of wisdom, but since God is unlimited in these and all other resources, He is unlimited. He never runs out of energy. He never runs out of awareness. He never runs out of wisdom. And He never runs out of power. No unforeseen emergencies can arise. And to Him, the cause for change have no existence. We are under the circumstances. He is over the circumstances. To suppose that his plans fail and that he strives to no effect is to reduce him to the level of a creature. So, when you're tempted to fear or you're tempted to anxiety in the midst of life's constant uncertainties and upheavals, I am reminding you who is in charge. 
The hymn, you may remember some of you, written in 1934 by B.B. McKinney, titled, Have Faith in God. It was written during a time of hardship, during severe economic depression and uncertainty in America, and people were very anxious and worried. Here was the refrain of that hymn. You know it, right? Many of you have faith in God. He's on his throne. Have faith in God. He watches over his own. He cannot fail. He shall prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. And I close this morning just by reading our text again from 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Let's pray. Our Father and sovereign ruler of heaven and earth, we are tempted to fear the uncertainties of life. But as we are reminded of your goodness, power, wisdom, and love, we are truly comforted to know that there, is no, there are no uncertainties with you. Therefore, we joyfully cast our cares upon you, for you care for us. As the prophet Isaiah said, you will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. Go with us now as we rest in the comfort of your truth, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray. O God, our hope, hear our cry, for we are often weak and fearful. Come among us with strength and healing. Look with pity upon your people. Enable us to see the light of our Savior, to see the one who is the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Fill us with thanksgiving and the joy of your generosity and grace, which is made known through our Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to forsake our own way and to gladly follow our Savior, for he always seeks our good. May his will be our will. Teach us to walk by faith and not by sight. For you are our faithful, sovereign, and covenant-keeping God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.